0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with the WWE edition, edition? no, it's the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast that's right the silver king is back once again joined by none other than vintage chris Benini to break down the week that was in wwe we're talking smackdown we're talking raw and we're talking everything else in the world of wwe as the company prepares for its return to touring with smackdown july 16th that is the silver king's birthday and money in the bank Two nights later where none other than Chris Vanini will be in attendance. We have a big show tonight, as always. Again, talking SmackDown and Raw and WWE news, everything in between. So let's do what we always do and take care of some business right off the top because you guys all know what the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about. It's all about divide. That means leaving five-star ratings, dropping reviews, on Apple Podcasts to let people know how much you love the show. Every time you guys leave ratings and reviews, it helps bump us up in the Apple Podcast Universe rankings. We bump up and we get more listeners, and that is ultimately the goal of this show. And also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast for new episode drops, tweeting live during all four major American wrestling shows. We also do polls, and we hope that you guys send us feedback and questions for the show via DM or tweet. So with that business out of the way, I do welcome in Chris Vanini, who I gotta say has me in a bit of a salty mood. First of all, it has been a very long day for yours, truly. A bunch of stuff happened completely unrelated to wrestling or podcasting or anything like that. So I wasn't in a great mood, but I'll tell you what I did. I made a hell of a burger for dinner. One of my best burgers of all time. I hunker in, I'm like, man, they have given us two Great additions, good to great editions of raw over the last couple of weeks. we're getting another one three weeks in a row. That's not exactly what happened, folks. The Silver King is a little salty because not only was raw terrible, but Chris is making me tape the podcast Monday night after Raw went off the air. so I'm in especially of a salty mood, as I said, we got a couple really good episodes in a row. It took a predictable downturn for all of the reasons I suggested, primarily because. As I said, hey now, they shot their load doing almost all of the Money in the Bank qualifiers during that first episode after Hell in a Cell. And now WWE is stuck filling nine hours of TV time over three weeks until the pay-per-view. Raw was just terrible this week. Looking back on SmackDown, also, I think it was the worst top-to-bottom week of TV in months because usually SmackDown at least delivers something with the Roman Reigns storyline. Maybe it was a holiday weekend. And therefore, the booking suffered and WWE is known to phone it in sometimes around the holidays. But Chris, these shows were rough this week and there's really no excuse, in my opinion, for Raw being as bad as it was on Monday.
1: Yeah, first off, I need to apologize to you because I was watching rewatching SmackDown today of about halfway through it. And I realized, oh, crap, I got 630 Eastern. I got to be on a plane tomorrow morning. I should probably let Adam know we need to record the podcast on Sunday um, on Monday night. Uh, So that's what happened. And then, yes, Raw was not good. Smackdown was eh, not good. It was a rough weekend uh, with the holiday. Yeah, it feels like they phoned it in, especially when you get into finishes and what really comes out of the stuff that happens. So. You're, in, you're not in a good mood, but that could make for a good podcast episode, I think. So that's what I mean,
0: we, we were trying to tape the podcast and I'm not an old cranky man, like get off my lawn, you know, type of dude. I'm really not. But there's people putting out fireworks at 1115 Eastern the day after July 4th. I mean, you want to do it. You got all night. You got from, you know, when it gets dark around here, 730 all the way to 10, 1030. But you don't need to be setting off fireworks after 11 Eastern on a Monday night when I'm trying to record, not previously scheduled after the type of day I had, I could tell you guys about the day I had today. I'm not going to do it because I want to get into a good mood. I want to try the best I can to have some powers of positivity going into the rest of this show. But I needed to vent off the top because as Chris said, and as I said, we're coming on this, we're taping the show right after Raw, which was just such a massive, massive disappointment. So This show, listen, it is not the Money in the Bank edition as Riddle kind of tried to steal off the top here. Isn't this the Money in the Bank edition? No, that edition of this podcast is coming next Tuesday when we will have the Money in the Bank ultimate preview episode. We'll break down the entire card, all the major storylines with predictions from vintage Chris Vanini and the Silver King Adam Silverstein. We'll tell you about everything else that's to come here on the Getting Over wrestling podcast at the end of today's show. I just wanted to slide that into you before we open this show by sliding into the main event. Okay, a little bit of a chaotic start here. Let's get back on track and we'll start as we normally do, even though I don't necessarily know, Chris, that it deserved it this week with SmackDown, the top storyline, which involves Roman Reigns, Except we didn't see Roman Reigns Friday on SmackDown. The entire show was based around Jimmy Uso attempting to step up to Edge. So Edge opened SmackDown saying his loss at WrestleMania screwed him up mentally. He said he wouldn't make excuses and then went ahead to list all of the reasons he had to make excuses. And he said both he and Roman Reigns know that Edge can beat him one-on-one. The Titan Tron showed that iconic crossface shot from WrestleMania with Edge using the bar from the chair to choke Roman like right between his... uh, you know, his upper and lower jaw, also known as his mouth, um, Edge pulled the Thanos. He called himself inevitable, saying beating Reigns wasn't an if but a when. This was another really straight fire promo from Edge. He picked it up right where he left off. If only the rest of the roster could do it and got the opportunity to do it, we'd all be better for it. Backstage, Jimmy Uso told Paul Heyman twice that he and Reigns would take care of Edge. Heyman didn't say a word, and Jimmy just decided to call out Edge in the main event of the show. Heyman smiled devilishly when he did that. Edge then said he knew he was walking into a trap, but he's sick of the family, so it's worth a shot. And then before the main event, Heyman told Jimmy in Gorilla Position that Reigns is taking care of family business and all Jimmy has to do is go out, be main event Jimmy Uso. This build, I thought, Chris, was the weakest for a Reigns-adjacent storyline that we've gotten in months. And even though it did properly build to the main event, it didn't make me... Anticipate the end of the show. Well, no, because you weren't
1: building to a a match. We're we're building to a confrontation and a hint that he may get sneak attacked, right? Which then doesn't happen, so it's a letdown at the end. And it's it it was weird to build to the possibility of Roman coming when you knew he wasn't
0: coming, right? Totally, totally.
1: And and, and so it was it was uh, to not start the show with Roman instantly you're like, this
0: is a little weird. And that 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 was the case throughout the show. Well, let's talk about the main event. So in that final segment that closed out SmackDown, Edge got on the mic and he asked what happened to Jimmy being nobody's bitch, like he claimed when he returned. Edge attacked him. Jimmy got up on him a little bit. Edge then choked Jimmy out, hit the spear, and broke off a piece of the steel chair, the same one he used on Roman, to put the crossface on Jimmy with the bar right in his mouth. He yelled into the camera that Roman should watch him. And then he screamed, I don't stop as SmackDown went off the air. It was a hot finish to the show. So let's not act like it wasn't exciting. But other than the callback booking to use the chair piece, I don't really know what it accomplished. Reigns didn't appear on the show. So it was not going to hit the same way no matter what the storyline was. It at least could have been a match, but it wasn't right. a match. Right. So it was relatively weak. Reigns returning next week, potentially with Jay. Maybe that's the family business that he goes and finds Jay and brings him in. That would make sense. But is that even enough resolution next week to pay off last week being mediocre? I don't think it is. So look, this wasn't bad by any means because Edge got a couple good promos in and the line about nobody's bitch was pretty smart, but it didn't advance the storyline. It didn't make me more interested in the Reigns and Edge match. And for that to be the main storyline for a Smackdown, it was just extremely lackluster.
1: Yeah, I I don't really get why you don't just make it a match. At the you can still play out the same question, hey, is Roman going to interfere and beat me up anyway type of deal and and we could have that. So, I I don't know. It was it, it was lackluster compared to what we're getting, which what we're getting is the best story in pro wrestling. So, just kind right. of a, a a down a down week for what's been a great thing. Um, but Edge's beard looks phenomenal still just just it's it's humongous for a guy who has such a good jaw a sharp jawline you wouldn't think beard's the way to go necessarily but it works it's big so uh it's 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 uh not not the best week but there, I, I have two, faith, i have faith that they'll turn it around
0: there's two different things they could have done one they could have had Jay uh Jimmy i'm sorry attack him uh earlier in the show and then get a no holds barred or street fight type of match. And then you have Edge win using the piece of the chair, getting the submission and and that's the booking. And that's not bad. The other thing they could have done, which is what I would have preferred is take Jimmy and Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns, keep them off SmackDown for one week, let Edge cut his promo in the middle of the show, like the 9 PM hour and build everything else around the mid card. Maybe develop a number one contender for the intercontinental title, bring the Mysterios back or do a tag team tournament or number one contendership match to determine who's going to challenge them next. Do a little bit more with the women. There are so many other things they could have done on that show than force feed a Jimmy Uso storyline on a week where if you're not going to have Roman Reigns and you're not going to have a good storyline to replace it, you just don't need them on there at all.
1: Yeah, I'm guessing that they... Made you think Roman Reigns might return for ratings purposes? Maybe and probably Fox probably didn't want Fox didn't want to just say hey, don't say Roman ain't here. Like I, I don't know. Someone probably figured because normally they don't they don't bait and switch you that blatantly. They don't typically say is someone going to show up and then they don't. Well, show they up, didn't. I don't
0: think they said on and you watched it tonight when we're taping this. Yeah, Monday. So. It's a little bit more fresh, but I don't think they ever said Roman would be there. No, but, but Jimmy it was kept Ed, saying when Reigns gets here, we'll yeah. do this, we'll do that. And,
1: and Edge was saying he's going to come out and sneak attack me and you guys are going to beat me up. So they right. like they painted a scenario that they didn't deliver. Uh, like just, it's normally weird to tease somebody could show up and then they don't show up. Like typically in wrestling, they, right. they do. So that's why it was weird. I, I'm guessing again, just speculating that. They probably didn't want you to not think Roman
0: was there because, especially on holiday weekend, people weren't going to watch. Right. And instead, all they really needed to do was book a big main event one week ahead. If you book a Intercontinental Championship match or a Tag Team Championship match,
1: or I, mean, I, I mean, I think an edge, just an edge, an match, edge match would yeah. have done good numbers. If, if they that's booked what you Edge, edge and
0: Jimmy Uso, yeah, yeah. that would have 100%. WWE, you can tell it's really, really weird. You can tell how careful WWE is booking for Fox and making sure Roman's there or or making sure they put a Hell in a Cell match on TV or they have the special WrestleMania go home show. That shit, they never do that for USA Network. And USA uh, reportedly is upset that WWE treats Fox better than USA. And that's a difficult position for WWE to be in. But they used to be so powerful that they would just tell the networks, this is what you're getting and like it or not too bad. That's no longer the case. Now they're beholden to the networks because of the sums of money that they're receiving for this deal. So as this podcast was taped immediately after Raw went off the air, I unfortunately have to briefly interrupt the main event here to share some news that broke just prior to publication of this WWE episode as Jimmy Uso was arrested Monday night for driving under the influence of alcohol. Jimmy allegedly ran a red light while going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit when he was pulled over, and he clocked a blood alcohol level of 0.205, which is nearly three times the legal limit of 0.08 in Florida. He was given a misdemeanor DUI, which is his second in the last two years as he got one in July 2019 for going 41 miles per hour over the limit. He was eventually found not guilty in that 2019 DUI case, despite video evidence clearly showing him as inebriated when he was interacting with police officers. And then Jimmy got arrested a second time that year in 2019 for a drunken dispute with police. It's tough to tell how this is going to be treated by the courts because Jimmy also had DUI arrests in 2011 and 2013. And I struggled to find whether he pled out as guilty or not in those situations. Penalties for DUI in Florida, Can include jail, heavy fines, license revocation, which, how does he even still have a license after this many DUIs? And one of those ignition interlock devices where you blow into a breathalyzer just to start the car. So it goes without saying here that drinking and driving is incredibly selfish and dangerous. Jimmy is clearly suffering from alcoholism and an obvious addiction here. He needs help beyond a potential WWE punishment, because driving drunk, you are not only endangering your life and those around you, but innocent bystanders as well. So if you or anyone you know has a problem with substance abuse, there is a free national hotline that you can call 1-800-662-HELP. Again, 1-800-662-HELP, and it is open 24-7. Now, regarding Jimmy and WWE, I have no idea What His Future Holds, WWE has notably suspended main event wrestlers in the past like Kurt Angle and Jeff Hardy when they were in their primes for substance abuse issues. However, they've also occasionally ignored DUIs from others in the past. And the last time Jimmy got a DUI in 2019, the Usos were actually pulled off of television for five months, Jay included. So clearly, Jimmy is a major part of this current storyline, with Reigns and with Jay, And we don't exactly know what the climax is or where it was headed. So WWE itself, from a storytelling perspective, has a few options. With Edge getting over on Jimmy to the degree he did last Friday, it's a natural point where you can just remove him from TV. Remark about Jimmy failing to live up to the family standards with an allusion obviously, to the DUI and move forward. You could also bring him back to SmackDown this Friday And have Reigns beat the shit out of him, whether physically or verbally, abuse him uh, mentally and write him off TV for a period of time. WWE and Jimmy have indirectly mentioned his personal issues in passing as part of storyline. I believe when they returned, the Usos, after those five months off TV uh, in January of 2020, I believe that they mentioned it somehow. But are they going to go full on with it as a storyline the way they did with Jeff Hardy? That was not well-received earlier. um, I was going to say earlier this year, but in 2020, kind of at the start of the pandemic. Now, the fourth option is, of course, WWE just ignoring it and moving forward. But that is obviously the wrong move out of this entire thing. Punishment of some kind needs to be handed down here. And Jimmy clearly needs help, not only in terms of his personal life, but his professional life, how all of it interacts. He has a wife, Naomi. He has two children, This is obviously just a terrible, terrible situation. And with us reacting to this here, interrupting the show to do so, there's only so much we can say. It's still fresh. It's still new. We'll see what happens by the time this week ends. We'll see what happens Friday on SmackDown, how they do or do not address it. And we will talk about this further next week in our WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview Show, where maybe we'll have a little bit more on Jimmy Uso what happens with Jey Uso and Roman Reigns and where the storyline is going to go from here. But with that, I will bring you back to our regularly scheduled show. So let's move on, Chris, to the second part of the main event, which is basically the main storyline for the WWE Championship on Raw between Kofi Kingston and champion Bobby Lashley. Booked for Raw was a tag team match, Kingston and Woods, the New Day against Lashley and MVP. So this changed last week on Raw. Originally, it was Woods against Lashley in a rematch, not inside Hell in a Cell. And I was shocked that that was the booking because I just assumed that they would give us a tag team match given that Kingston took out MVP. Yeah. So ultimately, like I think it was Saturday or Sunday, they announced that this tag team match was taking its place. And I was happy because it's a much better match. It's not a rematch. And you get to see all four guys involved, which is a positive. So backstage MVP said that it got changed. From a singles rematch to a tag team match because of Kofi's attack last week, Lashley cut a pretty strong promo. He even said the word hurt business, the words hurt business, for the first time in months. Kingston said that they were overcompensating for his words last week, and somehow MVP was magically cleared after saying he still had an injured knee, and now he was going to prove he being Kofi for the second time that anything is possible, and quoting Kevin Garnett does not get you on my good list as a (laughs) Knicks fan. Uh, As far as the match goes, Chris... Uh, New Day dominated early. Kofi, Kofi did a uh, tope trust fall onto Lashley outside. Kingston got the hot tag. He mocked MVP's ball and gesture and then did the boom drop. Woods broke the fall after an almighty spine buster. Kofi hit Lashley with trouble in paradise. Woods took him out outside with a flying clothesline and that allowed Kofi to counter the playmaker into another trouble in paradise onto MVP for the predictable win. The only thing I didn't like about this is that MVP kicked out at 3.1 and basically no sold Trouble in Paradise. And this is like, I don't know how old he is. I'm going to guess like 47. Correct me if I'm wrong. Google it. But he's not someone who should be no selling the finisher. Lashley is someone who should be no selling the finisher. So I don't know why MVP did that. I don't think he did it on purpose. I just think he kind of wasn't thinking properly when he did that because obviously he respects Kofi. So that was weird for the match to end that way. But otherwise, it was fine. There was nothing special about it. They did not do a great job building the match on Raw. They didn't do backstage interactions or really anything else. And I thought it was just a mostly forgettable episode and a really forgettable main event.
1: Yeah, I actually, I didn't notice MVP kicking out a 3.1 owner. I, I, I'm a... I'm a uh, advocate of more people doing that, but that that's a weird spot to do. not MVP for right, right, for right, right, WWE. champion. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I actually didn't notice that match was fine. But that match in the story was kind of uh, illustrative of the whole weekend in which nothing really happened. Nothing consequential happened. And again, that's probably because it's a holiday and they, they didn't want anything major to happen. W- one thing I wrote down in my notes, actually going back to the promo early in the show backstage well the first things mvp says is when the backstage interviewer comes up to him mvp goes something he says how the hell you keep getting in here every week (laughs) which i just i thought it was hilarious like they have the vip lounge and the interviewer somehow gets in every time and mvp is apparently not happy with that so i don't know i thought that was funny it it kind of uh, it legitimized the room and the idea that they're kind of in a vip lounge so that was good uh lashley's they're giving him more and more promo time and he's doing a really good job with it. His back and forths either with Kofi or about Kofi. Um, they're letting him do more and more stuff here and he's doing a pretty good job. So uh, that was good. The, the promos were fine. It's, it's kind of like the edge Jimmy thing where it's like, all right, it was, it was fine. Maybe not main event quality, but it's a holiday weekend. And it's just, all right.
0: It was just, just like with edges, promo that opened SmackDown. Lashley's promo for this match was the best part of the set yeah. for the entire yep. show. Yep, and that's despite there being main event things that both guys were involved in that both weren't really up to snuff. So it's unfortunate we're we're flying through the main events of this show because. Usually we go on like a 40-minute, we have a 40-minute conversation well, there's about nothing, Roman, you well, know? There's no, it's normally like, oh, I
1: can't believe they made this decision or this, but there just, they're just wasn't really. Or this was so was freaking good,
0: we got to talk about it yeah. and wonder where it's going to go. Yeah. We can't even book the damn territory here because we got Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview next week. So it's, you know, we'll do the best we can. Okay, this this one is something for us to chew on, all right? The third and final topic of the main event this week, the Money in the Bank Qualifiers All of which are happening on SmackDown because, again, Raw just gave it all away the week after Hell in a Cell for no good reason whatsoever. But we do have three different things to talk about here. We'll start with what I thought was by far the best thing in WWE this entire week, and that was Kevin Owens against Sami Zayn in a last man standing match. Yes, the Silver King loved another last man standing match, even though I freaking hate them. So let me break down the match. So Owens did a senton bomb off the barricade. Zayn threw him off the barricade into the announce table, but it didn't break. Owens stacked two tables and he was going to do a superplex with Zayn over the ring post, but he got stopped. KO hit an avalanche fisherman's buster. Zayn was set up on the top rope for that table spot, but he slinked underneath Owens and pushed him ass first over the post through both tables in a huge spot, Chris, that I thought was going to be the finish, except... He got into the ring at 9.5, or he stood up at 9.5. Uh, Zayn hit an exploder on the ring apron, and then three Huluva kicks, screaming at Owens that it was karma. And I'm thinking that's going to be the finish. <laughs> it's not. KO rolls out of the ring, stands up at 9.5. Sammy gets infuriated. Owens then hits a pop-up powerbomb, a stunner, then a powerbomb through the announce table, another powerbomb through a regular table, and a third Powerbomb fourth, I guess if you include the pop-up, onto the ring apron for the win. What a freaking match this was. If this was on pay-per-view, it would have been top tier, but the commercials that broke it up, it just kind of hurt it a little bit, but they did a fantastic job of having big spots but somehow not overdoing them and giving us an incredible finish from a storytelling perspective. With Owens using the Powerbombs to take out Zayn again, calling back to the NXT debut, and Zayn, despite him being someone who I felt should have been in Money in the Bank and needs to get booked strong, even though there's the conspiracy gimmick around him, they give gave him such an excuse with all of those finishers and power bombs and signature moves for and for him to do as much damage as he did to Owens. You could really say there's not much more that he could do. I was around like a 3.75 at the Huluva kicks, but the rest, everything else that happened, the finish with Owens. Took it over the top to four stars and an A minus for me. And you guys know, for me to give a last man standing match, four stars and an A minus, when I hate last man standing matches, and thought Zayn should have won, that's how much I liked it. KO, by the way, has been in two last man standing matches, this yes. one and the Reigns one that I loved, despite absolutely hating the stipulation he's
1: an incredibly creative guy and he does creative things. And that's the thing about this one. This was not a last man standing match that goes all around the arena. Like they they, they often it are was
0: all at ringside. It yeah. was all
1: at ringside. And that's why the finish made sense because, you know, it's what you would do in a video game. You would just spam your finishers at the end to try to get the guy to stay down. Like it's not Owens was not like crawling and on his last legs and they're both trying to survive. He was in control at the end. And that's how you would finish last man standing match like that. So that was it was good. Everything made sense. Everything was 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 creative, was fun. I mean, you always know with these two guys that they're going to put together something good. And and that was no different here. I was surprised Owens won just because it seemed like he was taking a break, Get you know, right. Either healing up from injuries or whatever. He had tweeted that he was taking a break and then he popped back up. Not only does he is he in this match now, he's in the money in the bank ladder match. So. I hope he just doesn't hurt himself any further in what is typically a very violent match for a guy who takes a lot of rough bumps. So let's just hope he can make it through uh, that match. I mean, I'd love Kevin Owens to win the money in the bank. I guess it's probably not going to be.
0: Probably not going to be my pick, but, but he'll certainly be one of the stars in it. I mean, I suppose that it makes sense for him to be an option. I don't know that he would be my pick and we will next week. We're not only going to give our predictions. We're going to give best case scenario and worst case scenario for each of the Money in the Bank matches. And I think that'll be kind of an interesting conversation topic. So I wanted to correct, because I did criticize them booking this match last week after Owens kind of said he was going to take some time off. I want to correct the criticism, because I said that it seemed WWE cut Kevin Owens' vacation short just to make another rematch. And I was really frustrated about that. But it was reportedly, a couple places reported this over the last couple of days, only supposed to be a two-week vacation. Hmm. So all he was really taking off was like one episode of, of the show, which gives you two weeks you know, off. So it's a little bit on KO for his vague tweet. So I'm not going to take all the blame, but I <laughs> did want to do a mea culpa you know, because I, I was really criticizing them for just kind of saying to this guy, hey, go take a vacation. Actually, wait, come back. It doesn't seem like that was the case. It was always supposed to be planned to be two weeks. But yes, Owens has been front and center on SmackDown for a long time. And this feud with Sammy, we thought it kind of ended. And they gave us this rematch. And it's going to segue me into the next topic here for the Money in the Bank qualifiers I want to address. So Seth Rollins is backstage and he's yelling at Adam Pierce and Sonia Deville for giving Edge the Universal Championship match against Reigns when they seemed last week to be leaning his way, choosing him to be the number one contender. And then Deville said, Hey, you know what? If you want a chance at the Universal Championship, all you need to do is win a Money in the Bank qualifier against Cesaro. So the segment was good, Rollins, the banter back and forth. But holy shit, man, what the hell are we doing booking all feud rematches for the four Money in the Bank spots? We already got Biggie against Apollo Cruz, and we already got you know last week Kevin Owens against Sami Zayn. Now next week we have Rollins and Cesaro again, and we have Shinsuke Nakamura against Baron Corbin again. Why the hell would anyone book four rematches as qualifiers when all of the feuds had endings? They had basically come up with endings for all of them. Nakamura got the crown. Biggie beat Apollo to get his way in and beat him a shitload of other times. Zayn finally got a win over Owens. That thing's over. And Rollins finally got a win over Cesaro. That thing's over. Instead, they could have mixed all four of these guys up. Or they could have done triple threats. Or a couple fatal four-ways. They could have done Shinsuke Nakamura against Rollins. And Cesaro against Baron Corbin. They, all you have to do is switch it up a little bit. Instead, they're literally giving us four rematches of feuds that we've been watching for months to qualify for Money in the Bank. And so far... The two people that are in are both faces, and I don't see a scenario where Corbin—we'll talk about him later—is going to beat Nakamura, and I don't think I see a scenario where Rollins beats Cesaro, but maybe I do. So maybe it'll be Rollins. This just is unusually and unnecessarily repetitive, and straight inexcusable bad booking, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's 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 weird. We we want you want fresh matchups. Imagine. You know Corbin Big E, which I think we might have gotten a couple weeks back, maybe or something. That was the finish for the match on Friday, but it was a tag team match
0: for no reason, right?
1: But like, I we see Corbin as the same guy so many times. The whole problem with him is we don't see him with fresh matchups. That would be interesting. Seth versus Nakamura Big E. Seth Nakamura. Yeah, like like make these things we want to see, not things we've already seen. There was one thing, and this is also. With the women, which we'll get into, some of them just being put in the
0: match. Oh, we're talking about that next.
1: Yeah, okay. so so it's just... It, the way they're booking these Money in the Bank matches is very, very inconsistent and weird. And yeah, the, here's the thing. Seth Rollins is 100% right about his complaints and about what they were saying. And he's saying this is Sonia Deville, who has already put two women in the Women's Money in the Bank. Right. And, and, and they make the point, and, and Pierce says... Edge was right that he didn't he won the Rumble and he didn't get his one on one match. And Seth goes, that's because you, Nick Gumpoops, put Daniel Bryan in the match. Yep. He's right. The best heels are correct. <laughs> yeah. That's like, the Seth, thing. like Seth's complaining about this and it's like, he's right. So I, it, it's it's I, I don't know. I mean, Seth Cesaro. Sure. They're, they're all the part of this. And if Seth Rollins wins which I, I think he's going to win based on how they're building this. Maybe not. I don't know. But any hope of a Cesaro push, by the way, coming off of WrestleMania backlash is clearly done. We don't even see him that often
0: on SmackDown. So At least for a main event, yes.
1: Yeah, he's not a main event. They clearly don't think he's a main eventer. So. I mean, look, look, the guy main evented a pay-per-view, right? And he, he, he did. He had he a really damn him. good he, match. He finally got there. But, but with Reigns. people always wanted to say, hey, give him that shot. We'll see what he can do. I thought he did a good job. Clearly, he did a Vince good job. But
0: the, he did a good job, but the question is, okay, Reigns is going to stay champion. So do you want Cesaro in that role? And if you have someone win money in the bank, they need to be a talker. Right. That, that's it, one it, of the it, things. Cesaro is not a talker. Yeah. Reigns went from beating
1: Cesaro, WrestleMania Backlash in the main event. I think it was the last match to fighting Rey Mysterio, one half of the tag team champions in a Hell in a Cell on a Friday. So there's kind of points to where things have really gone downhill for him. I, I wish he would have gotten that shot in front of a
0: crowd. I think crowds would have really gotten behind him. But uh, I think that may have been why, why he, they didn't do it, though, because the crowd maybe. would have been we'll so see. hot we'll, for. We'll, we'll see
1: if they. We'll see if they give him another push when he comes back. But I, I just I expected more out of that, and for him to not even be on a bunch of episodes of SmackDown, for him to just be thrown into. Hey, Seth needs to get in. Here's another rematch. Well, to,
0: we'll see. Let's we'll, no, we'll, we'll let's see. criticize it, it, it or change. praise
1: it next week. It you know? could, but it was. a for that to be the build those words anyway seth is right
0: <laughs> seth is right play. and
1: and the silver king's right i'm
0: right yeah that's because let's let's take a look really quick and then we'll move on but i had one criticism for raw and one criticism for smackdown the criticism for raw is they gave us all the matches right away the criticism for smackdown is they gave a, they're spreading them out but they're giving us all rematches raw gave, the, one of the reasons why raw was interesting the last two weeks is they gave us fresh matches for the qualifiers and a couple surprising people won and made their way into the match. SmackDown, everything's boilerplate. It's like, oh, okay, this is the match. I know who's going to win. I know Big E's getting in and not Cruz. You know what I mean? I know that, well, I mean, I thought Sami Zayn was going in, but if I wasn't thinking that way, the predictable thing, if you had to bet on it, would have been for Kevin Owens to go in because he's the face and they love him. And they don't treat Zayn the same way. So it's just each show is doing half of it correctly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's uh, it's so freaking frustrating to, to watch SmackDown and just see this many rematches. And I will tell you about those rematches. I did a little bit of arithmetic regarding Biggie and Apollo Crews that we'll talk about later. But for now, let's move on to the women's side of Money in the Bank. Out of nowhere, Zelina Vega made her return to WWE as Sonya Deville, announced her as the second woman in Money in the Bank. This despite Vega never holding a title, never that I can remember winning a feud of any consequence or even wrestling that often, (laughs) you know, in WWE. She did uh, challenge Oscar for the title, I think, and lost. And again, I don't even know how many matches she's won in her WWE career. Liv Morgan came down. She complained about others getting in And her being ignored despite her wins, Vega acted really snotty and cut a promo about her experience, her talent, and the fact that she was over. Morgan then slapped her and demanded a match. So we got Morgan versus Vega. The referee caught Zelina using Liv's tights on a roll-up. So Liv returned the favor as the ref was blindsided and got the win with a roll-up. So I know this segment, Chris, isn't good, bad, and ugly, but this one ran the gamut. Between all of them. Because there's good, right? The good is Zelina returning. The good is Liv winning. And it seems there's clearly a storyline being built that makes it feel like Liv is going to have to force her way in and maybe she actually wins money in the bank. And if that's the booking, ultimately this will be good. But there was bad. It's nonsensical at this point that she's not in the match. There's no reasonable explanation why DeVille is holding her back and even if there is, it's not being articulated. Right. So the audience yes. has no idea why this woman in live, who's winning all these matches, is not getting in. And then the ugly portion of this, this was the only women's match on the show. It was another Divas era, two minute piece of shit. And it ended in a roll up. This is There have been four women's matches on SmackDown in the last five weeks. The total time of those matches is 10 minutes and 15 seconds. That's an average of 2 minutes and 35 seconds per match on your A wrestling show. So as I said, this really was good, bad, and ugly. This is bullshit, man! And it's bullshit. Y- yeah. First off,
1: you you talked about it's not being articulated why Liv is how live is the face Sonia needs to heal it up is, is she a heel authority figure or not because she is, they dropped the whole storyline with Pierce yeah because she is through her actions, she is acting like a heel but she's not she does she have animosity toward liver or, or, or not she's just picking people to be in it for no reason and not milking it so it, it, it's like the story they're telling here is live is being kept down and she keeps winning and winning and she's gonna get her way in but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put some energy, you gotta put some juice into that. You, you, Sonia doesn't want Liv to be in the match or something like that, and she keeps putting up roadblocks, and then then she keeps getting over them. It's just Liv keeps, she yeah. says, no, you gotta be in a match. Okay, I win the match, and then that's it. But like, like tell us
0: why. Like, yeah. have Liv approach her backstage. Yeah, and exactly. They'll say, hey, look, Liv, you've gotten a couple roll up wins. They're fluky. You need to prove that you deserve to be in this match by beating someone of consequence in a real manner that's not lucky like like or just yeah. anything yeah but there's it's a, nothing being articulated it's so weird it's so
1: weird the the other part your dogs agree with me by the yeah, way yeah i know i know the the other part <laughs> of it the other part of it is what kind of re-debut is this for Zelina? To just have Sonya announcer and also she's in and also she loses. And she <laughs> loses, on, right? All on the yeah. first show back. Like, like what? Like I again, booking the territory here. What I do with so if I have Selena Vega coming back, I wait until I leave one spot open. I wait until the smackdown before money in the bank, when you have fans for the first time and you have a big return there. She's not the biggest return I know, but she's she would be a return. People and, would pop for her. People would pop for yeah. it. Everybody knows what happened with Zelina Vega and everything she said and why she left and, and her husband and, and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, that would have gotten people talking to, to have her show up at the end. Like, I, I just... Well, what you, you do wa- is you have... Why are
0: you wasted on this? You, don't, you know, go ahead. You know, what's, your, what's your idea? Well, I was just going to say, you, you don't know who the, uh, the third woman, right, is going to be assuming Liv is for, let's say, right? Yeah. But you try to fill the other slots. I'm, I'm just kind of expanding upon what you're saying. And you leave the final spot where Liv is, she goes in the ring, she cuts a promo on that SmackDown. And she's like, clearly there's one spot left. I'm the only woman on SmackDown that deserves to be in this match. You have Sonya Deville walk out Zelina Vega. And they have a confrontation and she says, okay, Liv, this is a qualifying match. If you beat Zelina, you get in. And Deville pulls Liv's leg and Vega hits a finisher and beats her. And Liv's pissed she doesn't even get in the match. I would have done that tonight. I'm just, mu- but I'm just saying, tonight, she, whatever day that she, was, she doesn't, but Liv, Liv ends up not even being in Money in the Bank. And you do the Apollo Crews booking. You remember last year at Money in the yeah. Bank where Crews was going to get in, but he got injured against Andrade. And instead of that, he ended up going after Andrade's United States championship. I think it was the US title. And then beats him and became US champion instead of going through the Money in the Bank storyline. And that was a good storyline. It kept us engaged with Crews. It mm-hmm. uh, kept us engaged with Andrade, and and it got other people into the Money in the Bank match. Now, there's not a mid-card title for the women, so it's not as easy to do that, but you could have Liv win a number one contendership and challenge Bianca Belair and ultimately lose to her, but start you know building her profile that way. There's a million different ways that you could have booked this, except for the way they actually booked it. And even if they had booked it the exact same way, and they made it a seven-minute match that Liv Morgan won, it would have been okay. But they couldn't even do that. They yeah. had to give her another two-minute Divas match with a roll-up. I, I mean, I, I, we haven't really seen Liv Morgan in a
1: long one-on-one match. I mean, if they don't feel she can go She that can long, go. We've seen it on Raw. It, 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 I'm just saying, if they don't think she can, and that's why they're not giving her any time, then she shouldn't be in the position. But if they think she can, then she should. If she they don't
0: think she can go, you know, I love Liv Morgan. She by, shouldn't be employed.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, but she so, can go. Yeah, so clearly they have some faith in her ability to give her such a big storyline here. Like you got to you got to put the time and effort in in order for us to buy into it. You can't just do a 2-minute roll up finish beat Carmella beat beat her, not explain why she's not getting let in and just say that's that. You got to you got to you got to put in the
0: work to tell the story. You just got to do something. But this was not good. The the interesting thing that this brings up, right, is what does this mean potentially for Aleister Black? And the answer could be nothing, right? Because WWE released Miro at his request and retained Lana for a year and put her in storylines and tried to push her and she make was, her into a wrestler. Was a soul she was a sole survivor. She was the sole survivor at Survivor Series. She got up on Nia Jax. You know, she got a title match. Like they were doing, and she got a tag team title match with Asuka as a partner. They did a lot of stuff with Lana. So it doesn't necessarily mean anything for Aleister Black. But we have seen people have their contract expire or get released and quickly re-sign. Samoa Joe being the most recent example, although it was a totally different type of situation. I don't know what it means for Aleister Black. My guess is nothing that he ends up in AEW as Tommy End or goes to New Japan or something like that because the guy is super talented. And he was, I don't like using the word wasted, but he, he wasn't on TV. So yeah, he was being his talent. Was being wasted by not being utilized, but yeah. they had brought him back with the storyline, and man, if they could figure out a way to make it okay with him, you have that storyline that you can quickly pick up because it's only been a couple of weeks if you bring him back on that Friday, July sixteenth, the first one with fans back, or you have him at money in the bank, cost biggie the briefcase again. There's so many ways you could reintroduce him that I hope and pray this opens the door for him to return because I would like to see him weekly. On my television, the expectation is that if they bring them back, they'll use them weekly. But I just don't know that it actually means anything. I just felt like it's something we should at least address. Yeah. Since we're talking. It's
1: hard not to think about, especially the, you know, the way in which Zelina Vega left was was over business decisions and being a bit outspoken about that. Um, And for her to just immediately come back so quickly. So, I mean, clearly they got over that. I don't I don't know what the Alistair situation was. We don't know. Uh, But yeah it's hard not to think about it in terms of what it could mean because um
0: because we don't know, and it would just be exciting to kind of see him come back as a little bit of a surprise oh, but sure. okay, we uh expeditiously found our way through the main event, which means we are now going to talk about everything else that happened across Smackdown and raw this week in our still somewhat new segment the good, the bad, and the ugly Showing you. The good, the bad that's a vibe man i gotta say like i'm into the intro to this segment oh yeah oh yeah for sure and uh, you know what we also don't talk about enough the theme for this show is a banger
1: no we we did we did talk about it once a couple of months back i remember but it, it's it's definitely up there it, it's a huge it's an important part of a podcast you know i wish of, we had was,
0: someone like doing lyrics over the intro.
1: I don't know. If anybody has lyrics, let us know. Um, I
0: may reach out. Maybe, it, yeah. Some people a, I can reach out to. Let me, let me, uh, let me try work. try to get, on that. Try to get Rick cool. Boogs to do it. <laughs> I think those would be different uh, style lyrics than, yeah, then would fit that track. But okay. The good, the bad and the ugly, everything else from SmackDown and Raw. Let's go deep on the women since that's where we left off. Bailey and Bianca Belair had another confrontation. Belair admitted that Bailey was in her head because she's obsessed with her and the title, despite losing every time they faced. Belair then issued an I quit match challenge for the title. Bailey said she'd be so embarrassed if she quit that she'd probably leave SmackDown, WWE, and wrestling altogether. Now that was not the stipulation for the match, but a lot of people were confused because of the way she said that. She was just talking shit. This started agonizingly repetitive, but the promo work by both was actually solid. And this should be a clear blow-off stipulation between two of WWE's best women's wrestlers. So ultimately, I'm going to go with good because this did, Chris, legitimately make me anticipate the rubber match between them, even though it's not really a rubber match. It's just really a third time they're fighting.
1: Yeah, I didn't, I I guess I'll say good. I I think we've done a lot of promo work between Bailey and Bianca. And again, it's it's not always Bianca's strength. I just want to see her go out and kick ass. but. This was this one had some some edge to it, and we hadn't had that before. They're not talking about laughs. They're not talking about, you know, getting people making fun of you as a kid or something like that. This was this was legitimate animosity, which I think added a lot to it. Uh, Bailey, by the way, looked great. That's
0: the most action I've had all year. (laughs) And and, I was getting uh, it there. You don't (laughs) got to prompt me, man. Just keep going. Just keep going. And now I'm going to know. Now I'm going to interrupt you. That's the most action
1: I've had all year. Go ahead. There we go. And Bianca looked great. And she had an edge to her, too. It wasn't like dismissive. It was taking her seriously, you know, getting physical a bit. This was the kind of stuff you want to see more out of out of these two. So, yeah, I'm going to say it's it's good. It was repetitive. We've seen it a lot. Um, but this was the way to do it all along,
0: I think. Yes, this was the best of their you know, storyline feud, I guess, is the best way to put it because yeah. it gives us a stipulation that's unique. WWE does not do "I quit" much, and this creates a scenario, especially with women. Especially with women, I, I is there, I'm off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember the last there have been. I they actually me. said it on broadcast, but I, I wasn't paying attention. It's like like three or four times. I think. Okay, not 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 much, not often. But this does create a scenario, and I, I don't know if I'm the only one who picked this up from the promo, but Belair. Enunciated very clearly without anything else, Bailey wasn't talking. She enunciated the words I quit in that type of manner. And the only thing that I could think about, it got really stuck in my head, was I'm wondering if WWE plays off that old, I don't know if you remember, <laughs> The Rock, know, mankind, the Rock
1: mankind 1999 Royal Rumble. Yes,
0: where they did the pre recorded <laughs> audio of Mankind saying I quit with his face down. So you couldn't see his mouth moving. And I wonder if they actually go ahead and play that back and and do that booking. This is a long time ago. I mean, this is 22 years, right? And if you think about Bailey, what she's done recently in WWE, she's had control over production, over the Thunderdome, getting her face to appear on it when she's manically laughing. She got a still photo, I think, of her holding the uh, WWE... SmackDown Women's Championship up in the air or something. She got it projected on all the Thunderdome screens. I'm wondering if they use this match, and we'll talk about it next week, to take the title off Bianca Belair. And if they do, it creates a really interesting scenario if they actually have Liv go on to win Money in the Bank, creating a Liv and Bailey dynamic that I think could be really interesting. And it puts the title back on a heel when fans are back in attendance and obviously they like Bailey anyway. So I know that's booking the damn territory a little bit. We really saved that for our ultimate preview. I just wanted to get that out now and see what you thought about it.
1: I don't hate it. I I will say that the way mankind said it was, was him yelling, I quit, I quit. Mm -hmm. And this was Bianca just kind of saying it. So that's true. The context of, of why you would say it. it, it, I don't hate the idea. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting way to end. A, a match like that it's it's a creative way to do it um but uh yeah th- this was i i, I like the stipulation that was the promo that was the the promo confrontation you needed to make that stipulation feel legitimate like it, it deserved it we couldn't have them continuing to passive aggressively be sarcastic about each other and throw in an i quit on top of that it it had to be had to had to have some heat. And it did. And I think that that uh, sets it up well. You know,
0: in retrospect, that probably should have been a main event topic.
1: Maybe. I mean, we got the money in the banks and we got the two, the two top.
0: Yeah, but something actually happened here. <laughs> you know, unlike unlike like, I'm like,
1: that's, the, true. that's true. It is the only this is one of the few things where something happened. Yeah, uh, we already had three main event topics. We already have two. I know well,
0: I was saying replace one, maybe knock Jimmy and Edge down a little bit. But all right. Maybe. Anyway, let us move on. We'll stick with the women. We'll move over to the raw side of things. So Charlotte Flair, she used a crutch uh, to get to the ring and, and stand in the ring. And she said she might miss money in the bank because Rhea Ripley took out her knee, drawing comparisons to stars missing the NBA playoffs and those suddenly not being as fun. And she's like angry at Ripley for doing it while simultaneously in the same breath admitting that Ripley used Flair's own move. It didn't make a shred of sense. I know that Heels can be hypocritical and convoluted in their thinking. But in the same breath, she's like, what you did was so wrong and you took a page out of my book. And it's like, well, which one is it? Like, are you actually mad or are you angry that she won up to you? She didn't even say that. It was just it was a mess. Ripley then comes out and mocks Charlotte by bringing a crutch to the ring in the same way, because don't forget, Charlotte took out Ripley's knee during the match the same way. She called her a drama queen. And then she kicked the crotch that Flair had to prove that she was fine. Then they awkwardly dueled with crutches, using them like swords. (laughs) Ripley got one shot and then Flair rolled out of the ring. They both looked like idiots. And Ripley continues to be booked like total dog shit. That was the segment. That's the whole segment. And if it sounds bad the way I described it, trust me, it was even worse because it wasn't bad, Chris. It was. Ugly.
1: 0.0, 0 Mr. Blutarski. Yes, I'm, I'm giving it ugly. This was so stupid. So Charlotte comes out. If, what she should do is not talk. If she wants to say, I'm injured, I can't believe Rhea did this to me, she should be trying to get fake sympathy from the crowd, like the heel whining that, oh, someone did this to me. I'm not. I can't believe she did this. Instead, it was like, It was like anger and strength. And so it doesn't come across the same way, because if you're a heel and I I get what she's trying to say when I can't believe Rhea did to did to me what I did to her. But you got to, like, say it in a way that makes you obviously hypocritical while you're kind of whining about it. She wasn't whining about it. Then Rhea comes up. Rhea's crutch thing took forever. It took like two minutes for her to get
0: into the ring. She also sold the wrong knee on her entrance and it, it, yeah i didn't i didn't actually notice that one but yeah then, when she stomped too, she stomped the wrong knee and sold it and, it and awesome.
1: then in the oh yeah you're right you're right because yeah. it was the, it was yeah it, it was the right knee and so it, it it was nonsense again i don't Rhea has been booked terribly we're we're not under the impression she is the face in this feud because again she attacked charlotte She's supposed them, to be though yeah but she attacked but she hasn't done anything like ish though and she attacked charlotte after the match so like that was not even if she did it to her like it's not typically how a face handles things and,
0: and it, it's just i don't understand i keep forgetting she's a champion it, the problem is it's it's two heels that aren't i neither of them are allowed to be heels it's just convoluted and shitty booking it i think
1: charlotte's being a very good heel i think rhea is and it's not her fault i think she's not being booked as a face and it's it's, it's it, she doesn't know what to how to react to Charlotte
0: because she's supposed to kind of be the same as Charlotte. Charlotte's being a heel but she's like a tongue-in-cheek heel like an AJ Styles beat up John Cena type of heel you know it mm-hmm. she's not being the dastardly conniving woman that she can be that we thought she was gonna be when she returned with the Cruella DeVille yeah you know type of gimmick where we're like oh this is a new side of Charlotte this is really exciting. Instead. She's trying to play both sides of the coin. You have Ripley, who's supposed to be a heel, but she's currently playing a tweener. And she's mocking Flair like a face, but doing a really bad, slow job at it. And like, I'm actually a little concerned that WWE is going to see the performance Rhea's giving and think, man, she just doesn't work. What, like, maybe we overestimated her. When it's not her fault, the booking is just absolutely horrendous for really the entire women's division. Across yeah. both shows, there's shreds of positivity that we'll talk about actually coming up next a little bit. We but just did. Bianca most Bue. of it is really bad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, it, and it, insulting. It, it's money in the banks that don't make sense. It's one match that's like two minutes long on a SmackDown. It's the the the, the way Rhea has been booked for months now.
0: Um there's there's a lot of problems in it, and like and you and never we, we see the like, women. You never see the women interact. I mean, you did this week a little oh, bit. Hey. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your point. I That's okay. You you hardly see the women interact backstage the way you will see the men, like yep. Priest and Riddle, for example, or uh, Ray Mysterio bumping into Kevin Owens and having a little bit of a chat. You, you never see the women do that. We did get a taste of that on Raw in Gorilla Position. But that was it. Like, that's the first time I think we've seen that in a really long time. It just, it feels like the women, after a couple years of being booked in an extremely strong way, WWE's changed their mindset to this. We'll give them time on the pay-per-view and allow them to have good matches on pay-per-views. Other than that, they're of secondary importance, akin to the tag team division on TV. That's how it feels to me as a viewer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and and I wonder if it comes back to if they feel pressure about ratings. They think women don't rate well and they're trying to they do Sasha, Sasha. And I'm Bailey, not saying and they
0: the, I know I'm just I'm just explaining yeah. to the audience, Sasha and Bailey, when they were the women's tag team champions and doing all that, they were carrying those shows, not just in terms of critical acclaim, but ratings too. their yeah. segments got really big ratings when they were on. Well, S- Sasha
1: is a star and she's not around and they haven't. Rhea is being booked terribly, not like a star. And Bianca is not quite booked like a star that I think she should be. And I, I think it goes back to the way they're planning things. But to go back to your first point about women interacting backstage, you know who made this point was Lana on Chris Jericho's podcast uh, last week. She kind of did her exit interview. <laughs> right,
0: typical. Yeah.
1: And and one of the things she said was she she pushed to try to get more realistic Backstage conversations that people would have, like when she got divorced from Bobby Lashley. What happens if she just runs into him backstage? Like they're regular people. They interact. They run. They run right. into each other and do things like she she wanted them to like show that kind of stuff on the show. And that's exactly right. And and and, and that goes back into the, the the women here that they're not having those. Oh, I run into you like Riddle and Damian Priest situation and, and that kind of stuff. The women are definitely not getting it. And. And her her take on her, she felt the same, especially once the pandemic hit, that the women did not get much of any support from the company in in a lot of different ways.
0: Once, yeah, once the Sasha and Bailey long storyline ended, it everything fizzled. Yeah, and it was it was just obvious they didn't have enough women. They just recently released a bunch of women from the main rosters. These rosters are thin as shit. The Raw one actually has some bodies. There's no one over on the SmackDown side right now. I'm not saying right. I'm not saying the women there aren't talented. I'm just saying which, go, which, there's yeah. not enough to tell compelling storylines. Which is why two of them got automatic births into the Money in the Bank. And probably. a third probably will. I, I wouldn't be surprised. You're talking about making having Zelina make her debut or return, whatever you want to call it. On that Feb, uh, July 16th SmackDown, I wouldn't be surprised if Sasha Banks returns and just gets put into the match. I mean, of all the people who should she would deserve it, yeah. although or deserving of that, she would be the one. But yes, I'm just saying. So it's just it's really messy right now. Let's stay with the women. We'll wrap it up on Raw. We had an eight woman tag team match: Asuka, Naomi, Nikki Ash, her new name A S H with uh, periods between them, and Alexa Bliss again on the face team against Nia Jack, Shayna Baszler, Eva Marie, and Dewdrop. Backstage, Reginald saw Bliss stalking um, Air and Baszler sorry, Jackson and Baszler. Uh, but she disappeared before Jackson and Baszler could turn around. Nikki cut another babyface promo and gorilla position. Asuka and Naomi told her that they're going to win money in the bank, so she shouldn't be so sure of herself. And then Bliss showed up and said they should all lower their expectations. There was a cool spot early in the match where Bliss stood on the middle rope inside the ring while the match was going on and just staring at everything that was happening, not tagging in, not being eligible. And the referee, the only negative I had is the referee allowed the match to go on when she was in the ring, but she wasn't legal. So he shouldn't have. Um, but it I was creepy. You're, you're big on that. I know you're big. I'm on just, hey, I'm, I'm going to criticize AEW for it. I'm going to criticize yep. WWE yep. as well. Uh, but anyway, it was kind of creepy and cool. So I, I liked that it was a little bit different. Uh, the faces took out the heels outside and then Bliss scared the shit out of Eva in the ring. And I legitimately laughed at that. <laughs> Dewdrop and Jax squashed Asuka. Bliss distracted Jax by hypnotizing Reggie. Baszler took Bliss out. Asuka dodged Jax, who speared Baszler. Asuka and Baszler then reversed arm bars. Dewdrop was late, breaking up a fall after a tag team finisher. She then really impressed with a cannonball. Nikki rolled Baszler into La Magistral again, but Baszler wasn't legal. Jax caught Nikki with a Samoan drop and posed for the camera during the 1 2 3. Now, this match. Did get 12 minutes. It was a bit much with eight women. It probably should have been six. They didn't need, you know, uh, bliss in there and they probably could have gone without Eva Marie. But I got to say, everything kind of worked. Nikki was the MVP of the match. She had really good moments with Dewdrop and Jax. Credit where it's due with Naya. My lone complaint really was Nikki losing after Asuka lost last week. When you have Naomi on the team who could have taken the fall both times. I love Naomi, but she's the easy booking To lose these matches as opposed to Asuka, one of your top women of all time, and Nikki, who has a brand new gimmick you're trying to get over. Ultimately, I guess I'll say this is good because it wasn't bad, but it could have been better.
1: Yeah, I'd say it was good. It was fine. It it was an entertaining, it got time. It was entertaining. There were good spots, stuff like that. Um, It was also one of the very few straight up clean finishes to a match on the weekend. There were a lot of. Roll ups, interference, count out stuff. This is just had a finish, so that 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 stuck out to me that they actually just got to have the match, so that was good. And the only other thing I'd say is I hate. I've really come to hate the gorilla position promos that they do. They, for whatever reason, they sound so much faker than everything else that that they do. Because it, it's like it's like they're in gorilla position, so I think the idea is like a pep talk. But it just—it always comes across as weird, especially when when Asuka's doing them. So that was a little bit weird. But overall, it was fine. I, and what was clearly a difficult weekend of shows for the women, this was
0: this was a, a bright spot. It was, I guess, a bright spot. I, I disagree about the gorilla position promos, and I prefer them to the promo that's like taped in the corner while you're walking out to the ring. And it's kind of like a throwaway. I also think it depends on which what you're getting. Sometimes people are interviewed. That's usually okay. Uh, if it's like, Heyman. Yeah, the, the, in, the interview at Grill Position works and it makes sense. That's a sports work. You get someone when they right. come off the field. So I, I do like that. Or, or before they get onto the field, like yeah. a, a coach yeah. before the start of the next half. You yeah. Know, um, in basketball. In that's how I would do them. Yeah. So those work, uh, the Heyman and Jimmy, like that one this week when they were just kind of talking back and forth, that's OK. But I think with Nikki giving such a canned scripted promo and then Naomi and Asuka both waiting for their cue, this yeah. one came across extremely scripted and and unnatural, like you're talking about. So you're right, especially in this case. In general, though, I don't have a problem with them. One other That's quick weird. aside I wanted to say before we move on. I got to say, there was a lot of criticism for WWE re-signing Eva Marie from yours truly included. Not from me. Not from you. But the usage of her has been pretty perfect to this point. She's a heat magnet. They're booking her like a self-centered coward. Her Twitter game has been pretty strong. So far... For all of our legitimate concerns and detractions from the whole thing, I think she's been proving everyone wrong.
1: Well, she ain't proving me wrong because I this is exactly <laughs> what I this is exactly what I I thought it would but She's now, still a bad wrestler. Now I don't like I don't like her. I don't like the context of bringing her in while you're releasing a bunch of people. That I get, but well, they signed
0: her before the releases. Right. I yeah. just I'm
1: saying her she makes her debut right as people get let like, go. Oh, I can see people being upset. Right. Like that. you see
0: Ruby Riot leaving. You're yeah. like,
1: are you kidding me? Yeah. Right. yeah. But that also kind of plays into what they want to do with her, which is get heat on her. And she's really, really good at that. Her debut, her re-debut was hilarious. It was it was good. I, I didn't like that they seemed to be having animosity between her and Dewdrop so quickly. Like, I wanted that to build before Dewdrop kind of gets Well, they dropped to it this week, or they calmed down at least. Right, they did. Because the last couple of weeks, it was like, what, are they going to blow up two weeks, three weeks into this thing? So hopefully they get it, like, let them develop a relationship before we see that relationship break apart. If you, if you want to do drop to get something out of this, that's that's how you do it. Um, so, yeah, and, and Eva Marie declares herself the winner of the match on the mic and, and Nia Jax's reaction was hilarious because she was the one who made the pin. So that was that was funny. Eva, she fits. A, not everybody has to be a, a great worker, put on a great match. And you got to have different people who can do different things. She can get people to hate her. And that's difficult to find in
0: WWE. It's true, but she's just such a liability in the ring. Like I, people gave Lana crap. Right, Lana tried really, really hard to get better and did get better marginally at wrestling. But Eva is exactly the same as she was. Yeah. So which, just which don't is put why her in which,
1: is, which is why you put her in a tag match. I I love the gimmick of her having a match. She can't compete in Dewdrop debuts. Their their, their first. Day. I I wanted that to keep going. That was I thought yeah. a creative way to go around it. They said that. If you're going to do a tag team, have her never tag in, you know, it, it continually. Um, yeah, she's she's not
0: any good in the ring. You got to find ways to work around it. One more positive and one more negative before we move on. A positive do drop despite hating the name, hoping that she'll drop that eventually when she does break up from Eva Marie. Um, despite all of that, she's been looking really good in the ring. And they're not making her a joke at all. Like, she looks like a real dominant force. And that's a huge positive. One negative here. They had the four women who qualified for money in the bank. All faces, by the way, which is a little bit of an issue from the raw side. Um, But all of them lost to people who are not in the match. I don't love that when you're trying to put these women in a strong area. Mm Because they're going into a big match that you want people to believe all of them, any of them can win and be a legitimate Money in the Bank briefcase. holder. So, yep, just figured I'd say that. Okay, let's move over to the Raw men's Money in the Bank side, which, man, I had problems with this on Raw. So the show opened with Miz TV featuring the Money in the Bank challenges, and you knew what this was going to be. The typical... Promo gauntlet that they do on go home shows, except you know what the problem with that is this wasn't a go home show, uh, it's just so trite. You have, let's start with Drew McIntyre, who wore, actually wore a cool leather jacket that goes back to what you and I talk about. We want him looking like a normal dude, except he still had the kilt on, but whatever. And he starts out by telling a Davy Crockett story. <laughs> Later, he told the story about the Claymore and the Loch Ness Monster or something. He said, he said the sword was made from a tooth of the Loch Ness Monster, I believe is what it was. What the fuck is this <laughs> garbage, Chris? There's no reasonable explanation for this character turn. This cheesy shit makes him so corny and ridiculous. It might work if he was playing like. A drunk Scottish character who people went up to in the locker room, and he's like, "Hey, man, let me tell you a story." I'm not going to do a Scottish accent because I'll butcher it. But he M- grabs M- them by the he grabs them by the collar of their shirt. Let me tell you this story, right? But he's a pure, sober baby face. I've yeah. said it before. This is like forcing Roman Reigns to say "suffering succotash." It sucks. Please stop this shit. Okay. Yeah. So when
1: he told the Alamo story, I was like, I had that same reaction. But when the other told, one was a little funny. But yes. when he told the story about the sword being the tooth of the locked sponsor, that's when I was like, okay, I think they're going somewhere. But
0: that's one it. of five stories that he's told right. So
1: but far. he went from like family stuff to, to Scottish legends to just straight up making up corny shit about a fake dragon. Now.
0: Why is your top baby
1: so face, I, who dominated saying, the last I, year, I'm being saying, a comedian? I, I don't think he's doing it to be... I don't think he's doing it to be funny. May, may, maybe I could see Vince thinking that's funny. Maybe oh, he's Vince doing it, I'm sure thinks it's funny. Maybe Knowing he's doing Vince, it
0: quote unquote
1: to be funny. But it's really stupid to do that in front of no fans. But I'm it, it feels like... Not a heel turn, but it feels like there's going to be... It feels like he's doing something different. I don't know where it's going to go. Kind of like in AEW and for quite a while we thought... Cody Rhodes was so over the top that he was actually being a heel and we just hadn't realized it yet. That actually ended up not really happening, but
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm... This I, is going in that direction of being That's just kind of what I'm graded, starting to wonder yeah. Drew
1: Is like, is he, is he trying to be so, so corny, like, like jokey John Cena corny, where it's so bad that people will not like him? Now, it'd be super weird to do a Drew McIntyre heel turn and this is the way to do it. But that last story made me think, there something's going on with this stuff. I like. I don't know. What, I mean, I'm giving this McIntyre bit specifically an ugly, but it, that that the last one it's gotten so ridiculous now that I feel like there's something behind it.
0: What's going on is it's going to give me a, a F an aneurysm. Is what is what's <laughs> going on. If I have to keep hearing this, not even once a week. I know. But I, twice in the show. Soon, as soon as Drew's like. I'm gonna tell you a story. You're just like I, I have that same reaction. It's like no God stop. forbid, God forbid Ali <laughs> and Mansur, and I'm gonna repeat myself later. God forbid they get seven minutes in a match. They get three, and we have to hear two Drew McIntyre stories. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Yeah, that part of it was ugly. I didn't, I didn't I didn't even have it divided up to like grade it separately, but yeah, that was ugly. Let's talk about the rest of this thing. Cause I, I at least want to try to get into a better mood. Uh, ricochet cut a decent promo, I guess, but then he pop like he's Jimmy Foster or something and gold star. If anyone gets that reference, by the way, Riddle climbed the ladder and Riddle was the best part, of course, of the entire thing saying that, Hey, I thought in these types of, you know, money in the bank segments, you're supposed to climb the ladder, which is funny. And when he said that McIntyre gave him a, like a corny thumbs up, which I actually <laughs> laughed at and thought that was really funny. And then Riddle goes like this. And whoa, I'm really high. Because he's really high on the ladder. Hysterical. And he treats Randy Orton's absence like he's dead. He's like, wherever Randy is. (laughs) I hope he's like looking down and And watching. he,
1: he He keeps looking up every time he says
0: that. Yeah. And then later in the thing, he quotes Super Troopers. So it's like W after W after W for Riddle. Okay. Riddle is the man right now. We all know this. Then AJ Styles comes out. He's angry. That he lost the second chance qualifier. He blames Riddle. Omas pushes the ladder. Riddle reinjures his taped foot. Then there was this really long, weird delay before Styles punted it, almost like no one knew what was supposed to happen next. Yeah. McIntyre was there like looking around the ring like John Travolta, like that, like that jiff in uh pulp fiction, where he's just looking around like, like, what the hell do I do now? The finish was super sloppy. So, you know, the McIntyre shit aside, I I guess just Riddle makes this. A bad segment that was good, like I'm not going to say it was bad when Riddle made me legitimately laugh and start in the whole thing. So I'll say it was good, but it was
1: rough. It, it yeah, was I mean you you figure this is you figure this is the go home segment for Money Bank. Like, that's typically everybody gets on the line. Thank God it wasn't. Whatever. So I, I don't know what they're going to do next week, but yeah, it was it was a little bit sloppy, a little bit weird. Um, more John Morrison, I actually think is 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 more interesting and entertaining in these recent Miz TV bits than Miz is. Cause oh, Miz, is in we- Miz is in the, in the wheelchair. And so he like, he'll talk tough, but we know he can't back it up or get hit. It's not just that.
0: The mission is super, super tired.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not clicking, but the Morrison stuff actually is. I think he's aside from obviously the last couple of weeks, him getting a chance in the ring.
0: Um, he's, he's, he's becoming a really, more entertaining on the mic. Did you see the thing I retweeted about the promo video he cut from the 4th of July? I did not. (laughs) Okay, so you need to, after the show is over, watch this before you go to bed. And anyone who has not seen this yet, check our Twitter account or just check John Morrison's Twitter account. But he cut a promo on Ricochet. And it started out with him submerged in a lake. And he emerges from the lake. I think he was wearing jeans.
1: Okay, I've got this on now. Yep, he's wearing jean jacket, yeah, and jean pants.
0: dripping wet. He has a bottle of water in his pocket, and he's cutting a ton of different, you know, phrases all relating to water and dripping and being wet. He calls himself the flood stud, which is just hysterical. It is one of my promos of the year, legitimately. It's hysterical. Make sure you go and watch it. I promise yeah. you it's worth your time.
1: He, he's a talented guy. I mean, we talked last week. Hey, we get to see Johnny Mundo against... Prince Puma in a match, and he got to he got to show out. Now he's showing out in the other ways too. I, I, I'm I'm playing this. He's he's a really talented dude, yeah. and honestly, I'd love for him to just kind of get away from the Miz for a bit here and let him shine for a bit uh, and, and do his own thing. He 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 he's funny. He he can wrestle. You know, let
0: him let him just kind of get a little bit of shine at least going into Money in the Bank by himself. You know, if you didn't if you didn't force me to take this pot on Monday night, I probably would have cut the audio for people to hear. On the show for Tuesday, so unfortunately, you can all blame check Chris. The Twitter account. Check at getting overcast. Yeah, check at getting overcast or just John Morrison. I think it's real John Morrison uh, for his account. No, go through the go through the podcast Twitter account. Yeah. We got to get people there. Go Film through me. my complaints on Raw. <laughs> and Make sure you watch this. Yes, I go, promise go you, it's, it's worth your time. If if I'm wrong, tell me and I'll send you zero dollars. Okay. But I, I I promise it's worth your time. Anyway, that match you talked about. Let's get to that. Ricochet versus Morrison, the rematch. This was the second thing that we got on Raw. Ricochet did a somersault. Using Miz's wheelchair, but Morrison countered a huracana and made it a power bomb into the barricade. Then he did a standing Spanish fly in the ring for a near fall. Ricochet hit a beautiful tornado DDT. Miz caught him in the face with a drip stick, and Ricochet barely escaped a butterfly pinning combination. Again, another pinning combination that people can use instead of a roll up. Uh, Morrison missed a diving elbow on the ring apron, and then they slightly botched a corkscrew topé type of move. And then the finish came with Miz slowly scooting his wheelchair in Ricochet's way, like an old lady with a shopping cart taking up the entire aisle at the supermarket. And Ricochet just couldn't stand up and enter the ring before 10. So we got another countout, this time a single countout instead of a double countout. And what I think to that point had been a perfectly booked mini feud over the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to go with good here because... They're giving us a false count anywhere match next week, which will resolve it. And that is the smart way to kind of do a third match. But shit, they unnecessarily made Ricochet look pretty stupid with the finish, even though I will give them a little bit of credit for it being inventive.
1: I I would have done I would have done the exact same thing as last week and had another double count out because they did something crazy. Like just, just let these guys do crazy wrestling stuff and then get themselves counted out on the outside together. And then you have the falls count anywhere to get a, to get a determinate winner. Like what, why do we need the Miz bit? Like, I, I don't know. It, it was just unnecessary. And yeah, it was a really good matchup until then. Last week was, was awesome. Amazing finish. Um, this was kind of a deflating finish to it. And I, I'm sure next week will be good. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm grading this a good, it was just an unnecessary finish. And another, another spot where I'm like, man, we don't need the Miz in this right now. Just just let John Morrison, you know, be
0: Johnny Mundo. And like, I'm also a little bit concerned that next week, because it's Falls kind of Anywhere, because Morrison has the Miz, that Morrison wins. And then we're going into Money in the Bank, and I'm not expecting Ricochet to win. And you have Morrison 2-0-1 over Ricochet. And you're just like, well, womp, womp. Like, there goes Ricochet's yeah. push that we thought we might get. And then if Ricochet wins next week, Then you're like, well, it's one, one, and one. So on the Raw after Money in the Bank, we have a fourth match and it's another rematch. Not that I think the crowd would hate it. I think the crowd would love that, right? So they'd be excited. But I just don't see it ultimately working out in a positive way, no matter what they do. Because the whole goal of this, I'm not saying Ricochet has to go over Morrison, but he just shouldn't get squashed 201 in a three-match series. And that's my concern of what might happen next week. But okay, let's move on, and we'll continue with these Money in the Bank um, individuals who qualified that are in additional matches on Raw. Because, as I said earlier, they need to fill nine hours after qualifying everyone in one show. We had Drew McIntyre against Jinder Mahal in a singles match. Oh, Finally, th-
1: th- this this should have been in the main event of the show. You want to talk about? Something. Do you
0: actually believe that? No. Okay.
1: I I, I, I like this. You did like it. I did like this. Okay, well, we're going to disagree.
0: So, (laughs) Jinder rode a custom motorcycle into the backstage area. He said McIntyre was his friend, but now he can't even be bothered to respond to his text on time. So, he demanded a singles match to prove that he's better than Drew. Okay, that's a fine setup. I actually thought it was the most normal and relatable that Jinder's been since, like, three-man band. Well, other also, his promo, I think, last week or two weeks ago, when he was like,
1: hey, why did... I, I Drew lost a bunch. I should get a chance to be in this money in the bank, not him. He he's had a couple of good promos the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, so I'm finding gender on the mic at least relatable and in storyline, you know, perspective relatable. But that doesn't really line up with like his gimmick, where he comes to the ring with two really big guys carrying his water. That whole thing doesn't really fit for me. But they he comes down with uh Shanky and Veer and Mahal puts McIntyre into an announce table. He dominated the match and Drew sold his ass off for him. McIntyre hit his signatures and then he did the one man band guitar strum after a kip up, which I thought was a fun callback. Yeah, yeah. He countered the Colossus into a future shock DDT and he's getting ready for the Claymore when Veer and Shanky run in, prevent the Claymore and get a disqualification. Jinder then hits the Colossus for good measure after the match. Then he steals McIntyre's family heirloom sword. This thing sucked. I'm not trying to hinder gender. Don't get me wrong. But the match was bad. The DQ booking was awful. When they could have just attacked after the fall was over, so you let McIntyre beat him, and then they attack him. And then stealing the sword is identical to stealing King Corbin's crown, which is happening or just happened on the other show. It's a crown. It's a sword. Royalty. Same shit. Talk about... Unoriginal booking, you're literally doing this on your other brand. I was gonna go with bad, but I worked myself up so much breaking this down. Yeah, I'm going with ugly. This was ugly, it sucked. No way,
1: this was this, this was good. It was a good promo from Ginder. I, I, again, I, you're the right, promo I was totally, good. I'm not I don't that. I don't totally get what the gimmick exactly is, but he's he's the promo's good, he's making sense. Sorry, the match. It was fine. It, it, it was it was oh. big, meaty men slapping meat. It was not the best match. You're never you're not going to get that out of gender, but it was a fine match. And yeah, the DQ finish sucked. I hated that. But Jinder stealing the sword is awesome. We've got ginder's is going to be walking around with a giant ass sword. That's the tooth of the Loch Ness monster right now. I don't know how you don't get excited for that. I I, 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 it's not the same as the crown because I don't think ginger is going to call himself a king or something like that. And
0: it's stealing someone's shit.
1: It's the same thing. It's yeah, but it's, it's stealing someone's shit happens literally all the time. A couple weeks ago, Ricochet kept stealing Seamus's jacket or his hat or. Yeah, that's true. Also, you you know, it's just, you make a great point, Chris. It's it's a wrestling trope, (sighs) but if you're going to steal something, a sword is a pretty fucking cool thing to steal. I would steal it if I was a wrestling heel. I'd steal McIntyre's sword. To what sword. end that is he going to cool? stab?
0: Is he going to kill Drew McIntyre with the sword? <laughs> no, but it's, is there is a I, murder going to happen on I TV? I can't
1: wait. I can't wait till next week till we got Jinder Mahal walking around with a big ass sword. I'm excited for
0: it. I can wait. You know why I can wait? I'm bored, brother. Bored, senseless. Hated it. Don't hinder. I'm not trying to hinder gender. The storyline is hindering gender. Storyline is fine. I'd rather have Drew doing this and being
1: in the Money in the Bank match. He's in time. the Money in the Bank match. I know, that's what I'm saying. This is more <laughs> Drew was more interesting in this than he was in that opening Money in the Bank deal.
0: I he, guess that's true, but they're happening simultaneously. If, yeah, J- I know. if, that, if Drew weird. didn't get in the match and was doing this, I'd probably be more okay with it. That's but, fine, but in the context of just this, Segment
1: in the in the little mini feud outside of the Money in the Bank, it's fine.
0: It's not fine. It's terrible. All right, we'll move on. Uh, the third part of this, whatever you want to call this, Riddle fought AJ Styles in a singles match, which obviously Riddle Styles were really excited about that match. Riddle and Damian Priest had another fun interaction backstage, as Riddle was tending to his injured foot, which he sold during his entrance and throughout the entire match. Riddle did the crane kick from Karate Kid and connected, which Jimmy Smith on commentary sold beautifully by quoting the movie. Omas then tripped Riddle by his injured foot, which he sold. Riddle eventually hit a broton. He hit the ropes during the phenomenal forearm to break that up, an attempt from Styles, and he nailed him with Orton's draping DDT. Riddle then landed badly on his foot during a missed floating bro. Styles again hit that really cool brain buster move, which I said the name last week. It's slipping my mind this week. The Viking Raiders then showed up beyond the Thunderdome barricade to distract Styles and Omas, and Riddle rolled up Styles for the win. Now, this is a situation where a roll-up is okay because you're catching someone by surprise, and Riddle was an injured wrestler who needed an out for the match. But, as I've said before, any other pinning combination, like a crucifix, a small cradle, an inside package, is better, an inside cradle I meant, um, is better than a roll-up. So why don't you just let these guys win in different ways? Other than that, there's not really anything to complain about. Riddle and Styles, they wrestled a good match. Riddle did a great job selling the injury, which we presume is either going to keep him out of Money in the Bank or create a reason why he doesn't win Money in the Bank, which otherwise maybe he would because he's being booked so strong. This was good, and this was the best of the matches that came out of that opening segment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Riddle's going to be in the match. I don't see see him being pulled out for injury or anything like that. But it also kind of comes back to where, like, I get Riddle's injured, and so you don't want him to look dominant. But, man, if you had just beaten AJ Styles, it would have been great, and AJ wouldn't have been hurt at all. He's, he's in a tag team feud right now. And we'll get into what's about to happen on SmackDown. But SmackDown, they beat one half of the tag team champions in singles matches quite a bit we saw it with Roman Reigns doing it to the Mysterios we're seeing what Otis is doing individually to the Street Profits AJ Styles is obviously on another level but I don't know I, I think he could have just had Riddle win here I, I don't see why not I, AJ's not hurt by it especially on a show that again had so many roll-ups interference count outs things that did not have a lot of just straight up clean finishes I feel like you could have just had it it could have just given him the win and it would
0: have been fine you it could have, have just given Styles. it would have the helped
1: win. it would have helped riddle more and it wouldn't have hurt styles
0: but you, you also could have given styles the win i know that they're trying to build up riddle but he's not infallible and he had an injury legitimately so you had omas pull his foot he's hobbling around in the ring turns around to see what omas did styles flies off with the phenomenal forearm hits him and pins him and riddle sells the foot afterward and the next week he's still selling the foot he had an out you gave the guy an out to lose the match and you had him win anyway Now, I I like what they did with the Viking Raiders because it brought the Raw tag team title feud back into the picture. And they booked a title match for the first Raw in front of fans. Those are all big positives. So I'm not giving the booking, you know, a hard time. But if you have a match between guys like Riddle and Styles, you can't have Riddle. One of your best in-ring wrestlers do a roll-up when there's so many other ways to get a pinning combination to win the match, including, hey, maybe he cheats a little bit. Maybe he puts his feet on the ropes and uses leverage behind the referee's back because Styles took out his foot. So, hey, we're getting even. I'm getting one over on you. There's so many other smart ways they could have booked it where just a simple roll up, which as you said, they did so many times between that and fake finishes, DQs, countouts across Raw and SmackDown where you're just like, this is a match that doesn't deserve that
1: it's on a given episode of raw or SmackDown, there is a, probably a less than 50% chance you get a clean finish. It's a problem. And, and it's a, it's a problem. It's a big problem, especially, you know, it's, it's something, you know, AEW's said they will try not to do. And I, I'm, I'm getting back into AEW more now the last couple weeks. And it's, it's a startling contrast when you realize, Oh, like every match is, might not
0: have a clean finish. And maybe it was because it was a, I'm sure we're sure doing more this weekend because was well, a holiday. Well, AEW, AEW, doesn't always give you clean finishes, but they still allow a one-two-three usually yes. after a finisher or a signature move. So yeah. someone will interfere directly, causing the other person to lose, but you get a one-two-three. You don't get a DQ.
1: Yeah, or
0: yeah, or, or or exactly. Or you don't get a roll up. You get a pinning combination. You don't get roll ups. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that does happen a lot. There are a lot of pinning combination finishes in AEW, but that's OK. Again, we say it on this show all the time. At least I say it. Pinning combinations are wrestling moves. It shows that you outsmarted your opponent. A roll up is as lazy as it can get,
1: especially when you have the 24 seven title. Only only roll up roll ups and it's back in play now and we're getting those. Yeah, you can we do jackknife
0: we, covers and cradles yep. and La magistral. There's so many different ways that you can end matches. Don't do a roll up. It's just it's insulting. It's insulting to your audience. It really is. They, did, they need like they need like a one month
1: moratorium, just like ban roll up finishes and just see what happens.
0: See what the else the product can would on. improve. Yeah, because there's so many. It would it would force them to just say, okay, how else can we do this? Oh, a jackknife cover. Oh, okay, yeah. a foldover. Like use the ropes inside cradle. There's just so many other ways that you can end a match than a stupid freaking roll up, fruit roll up. All right, <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's move on because I'm I'm gonna go off on the SmackDown Money in the Bank. Uh, Contender booking as well, so we had Biggie and Shinsuke Nakamura in a tag team match against Apollo Crews and Baron Corbin. I legit laughed out loud during Rick Boogs intro when Pat McAfee—I don't know if you noticed—it was basically teabagging Michael Cole while dancing. <laughs> yes, it was hysterical. Like
1: he—he's he, trying to one up himself every week with the with the with the Boogs entrances, and
0: he keeps doing it. Yeah, it's hysterical. Uh, WWE then showed a YouTube clip of Corbin being really depressed over losing hundreds of thousands of dollars into investments and no longer being wealthy. Corbin made his entrance. He was disheveled and unkempt. He had a patchy beard. His head wasn't shaved, you know, all the way properly. And they even cut off his King's Entrance theme on his way in. All the pre-match stuff was exceptionally entertaining and really well done. Then you get into the match. Nakamura had new black and white gear that looked pretty cool. Corbin had Biggie in a submission when Boogs showed Corbin that his Mercedes G-Wagon was being towed on the Titantron. Biggie then immediately beat him with the big ending. Later, Boogs caught up with Corbin backstage and made a bunch of king puns. But Corbin was super depressed and he just said, screw you. And then there was a social media thing that happened that you probably didn't see where Corbin pawned off his watch to Dolph Ziggler for like $10,000. It was a $40,000 watch just to have enough money to get the G-Wagon out of the impound. So let's address this whole thing in two parts, Chris. Everything pre-match, plus the entire Corbin storyline, all of that is good. Corbin is actually doing something new and different, and it's refreshing to see them go in a fresh direction with him for a change. So let's start with Corbin. Corbin, to me, was good.
1: Yeah, Corbin was really good. And it's hard not to tie it into everything else, but with with Boogs, with the, with the book stuff. And I I said this last week, I said they could do this, not that I, but I didn't think they would. Now I think they are. This feels like a double turn. Like, like, like legit bad stuff is just happening to Corbin. And he's sad about it. Like no one's like, like I don't, there's no reason to laugh at him. It's just, they're being mean to him and then they're teasing him and getting his car towed. And now he's poor, I guess. Um, they're going re- leaning really heavily into it. But that's that's kind of
0: that on top of Boogs making fun of him. That that feels like a double turn. Hmm. I don't know that it's a double turn. I think they're trying to get a lot of sympathy on Corbin. And I think Corbin, when fans first see him, they're going to boo him. But I yeah. think it will turn. I think he will yeah. turn face, and that's good. But I don't know that it's a double turn for Nakamura and Boogs, though.
1: I mean, Boogs was legitimate. Like we we've already seen, we'd already seen like three or four segments of him being really sad, and then he loses, and his car gets towed, and then Boogs is making fun of him, and and Corbin's reaction is just like "screw you, man!" Like further taking that depression even deeper. Like there's no like Boogs was not a face in that backstage segment. That that wasn't that wasn't getting over on a heel by teasing him
0: because something bad happened to him. That was just being mean. He wasn't. You're right, but WWE does sometimes allow faces to just be assholes in that way. They they do, but on top of
1: him already being depressed is why it felt different. Well, it wasn't know like he. It, it wasn't like he. Something uh, he got out of Something he's all pissed, and then they're making fun of him. He was sad, and they're making fun of him.
0: Well, here's the good thing: we care about the Corbin storyline. Yeah, and now we have an opportunity to see how it plays out. Yeah, and that's the, I, I'm I'm really interested. That's the interesting right part. Now. Yeah, and that's why that was good. Now let's go to the second part because I could not come up with any justification for this match. These feuds should be over and done. Why not have Corbin lose to Chad Gable, right? Give yeah. Gable a little bit of a bump. Corbin had the feud with Gable, gets him more depressed, or Robert Roode, or a repackaged Slapjack, or even. Since the finish was Biggie and Corbin, just have him fight Biggie one on one and have that be the finish because at I least mean, I, I, I it's mean, a fresh match.
1: I'm guessing they wanted to do the boogs announcing your car got towed, and that's kind of how I'm guessing that's
0: what they built. I for. get, or have him fight boogs one on one or something. But the IC title, you have Apollo Cruz as the champion. It is rudderless. Yep. It does not have a challenger entering a top five pay per view. Biggie has now fought in matches against Apollo Crews 10 straight times over the last 15 weeks. <laughs> the last time Biggie was in a match against someone other than Crews, meaning Crews was not his opponent, was March 12th. March, it's July. <laughs> this is absurd. So the Corbin stuff, Chris, is good. The rest of it for me was bad
1: yes and it goes back to what we were saying earlier just with smackdown why are we repeating all these continued feuds do something differently i don't know what roman wasn't in town with maybe paul Heyman wasn't in town and there to you know make things a little bit better i it was it was um it was disaster it was just like yeah i was like all right i i was interested in the corbin stuff that's what got me interested but the rest of it was like all right, we've 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 seen these guys. I'd love to see them do something different.
0: And I know there's an excuse. The rest of it was just a background for the Corbin storyline. That's fine, but you don't need the Intercontinental Champion to be a background. Shinsuke, who's getting pushed right now. Big E, who's one of the top challengers for the Money in the Bank briefcase. Those guys don't need to be background for Corbin. You can use other people on your roster. That's why it was disappointing. Have Ziggler beat him. Have... Rude beat him.
1: You could have Gable, you could do him and Gable. Gable, That's what I during said. the match, Boogs just comes out, exactly. plays a guitar, comes out, says, Hey, your car got towed, then he loses. I mean, yeah, you could do that too. Exactly. There's so many other ways. No, to but do I, it. I do think, I mean, you have, you have to get Biggie on the show
0: in some other way. But yeah, you could have done it differently. Biggie can cut a promo about Money in the Bank. He, a, he can fight anyone else in a singles match. There's so many other ways to do it. All right. Now, something I did like, was top to bottom from SmackDown was Otis against Angelo Dawkins. Otis beat the ever-loving shit out of Dawkins and delivered his huge splash from the middle rope. Then he had a Vader bomb that Michael Cole just called a splash like he doesn't know the difference.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I, he's done it a couple of times. And i been wondering bomb. if they I, I don't know if they don't want to call it because it's someone else using it like how oh, they come on everything it should be. It should be called the Vader bomb or an Otis bomb or an alpha bomb. If there's a reason they're not doing it. Call yeah. it
0: an alpha bomb. There you go. There's a name for their finisher. Yeah. I came up with it off the cuff. An, in a, two an A bomb, an A bomb, an A bomb. You can call it that, too. Uh, but this is by far the best incarnation we've seen of Otis in WWE. Yes, heavy machinery was funny. Yes, it sucked to kind of see Tucker, you know, leave and then get fired. Yes, the Mandy Rose storyline had its great moments. But all of that pales in comparison to this. He's been made legitimately dangerous very quickly. And Gable looks better for it, too, because he's coaching him up. It was not lost on me that Otis is now supporting Gable in a significant way by wearing his hair in the exact same style, too. In every way, this (laughs) was good.
1: Yeah, this is this is good. This is going on the good. I I, I love seeing you come around on LA Night. I love seeing you come around on Otis. I know this is a completely I'm different I'm not coming Otis. around on I,
0: Otis. I, they're I, no. booking him better.
1: Yes, I know, but Same it, with LA Night for that. Matter. It's it's different. It's it, it's not the, I know it's different, but it I, I could you knew there was something there with Otis and I'm glad they're doing this with him. He is great. Him and Gable are great. I want to see more of them. A couple weeks back when they had like four promo segments, him and Gable with the Street Profits to set up the match Right, last week. That was great. I'd love to see just more of that. They are really good, I think, in backstage segments and stuff like that. So just give me more of Alpha
0: Academy because I am I'm all about it. Let's just not rewrite history on this podcast. <laughs> I've always liked Otis. Him winning Money in the Bank. Was dumb. It was one of the worst booking It was not dumb.
1: It, it, it could have been good if they had done something with it. They didn't do it anything never it. never could have been good. They could have turned it into this. They could have turned it into this, but they didn't. Yeah. They didn't turn it into anything. They didn't do anything no, with him. They, just, they
0: dropped it. every part of that angle. It was terrible. And that's why I didn't like it. It's not that I didn't like Otis. I didn't like the storyline. Those are two very, very different things. <laughs> but let's move on to people, two people I do like. Mustafa Ali and Mansoor. It seemed like Ali was in more of a mentorship role despite tossing Mansoor out of the Battle Royal last week. So that made this a little bit surprising that they had a singles match. But I do like the story of Ali trying to ensure that Mansoor isn't overlooked like he is by WWE because it's very realistic. It's real life. It's true what's happening. Uh, Mansoor did a sick inverted atomic drop into a spinebuster, which was really old school. I appreciated that. Ali's foot got caught in the ropes and Mansoor helped him escape rather than take advantage like a smart wrestler would. Ali immediately caught him and folded him over for the win. Now, this was definitely predictable. But Chris, you know what they say? Sometimes predictable things are good. And this was good. The only negative I have, just like I said with the women's match, the, the Liv Morgan uh, Zelina Vega match, this thing only got three minutes, which is pathetic for a three-hour show. I don't care that there's going to be at least two more rematches between these guys. Give them seven minutes, eight minutes, 10 minutes at least in their first showing and then 15 or 20 in their final match if you have to have rematches. I don't see why that is so hard. I know that this was a simple booking. I actually really liked the booking, but you have Ali, this veteran folding over Mansoor. It wasn't a roll-up, so at least it was something wrestling related. But... I don't know, have him hit a finisher. or have him hit a super kick, any type of impactful move to create the finish. So I had some detractions, but from a storytelling perspective, it was indeed good. Yeah, it was good. I just wish I'd gotten more of it.
1: Um, it I, I, this is obviously a low card feud, so you can't give everything. One of three more, that we're
0: going to talk about to end the show here.
1: <laughs> but that's the thing is you could have you cut one of these other ones and given this two segments or something and, and let like guys let guy let let them really show how, how are how is anybody supposed to get over in three minute matches and this goes for Liv Morgan as well like you, you gotta let these people do fun things they don't all they don't all have to be you know 20 minute matches like AEW but just give them something so we can get into it the only this was good I, I just wish it had been drawn out more and what I mean by that is I wish Oddly had been caught in the rope for quite a while, he got caught and the ref the ref immediately like goes over to him and it's like, that's weird. The ref doesn't normally help in these situations. And then Mansoor comes over and we get the finish. It, it, it should have lingered there for a minute where Ali was where was yelling out in pain. You get the camera close to me. He says, I think I'm, I'm, my ankle is going to break or something like that. And then Mansoor feels like he has to help him. And then you get the finish. It was just kind of like, oh, we got tangled. The rest trying to help him, then he's out and it's over. And when you only have three minutes, that's all you can really do. But I feel like if they had been given some more time, you could have milked that moment a bit more. But um, overall, it was good. I just wish we got more of it.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point that you made. That They gave us three trash throwaway short matches that could have been one or maybe two if you split the time between them. It made no sense. It's like, They were trying to force the entire men's roster onto the entire roster because I think all the women were on the show also. It's like they tried to force the entire roster on this week's show to the detriment of actually telling good stories like T-Bar and Mace against Lucha House Party. I believe that was a match on main event last week. Yeah. Why? So why are you putting that on this show when you have a fresh, somewhat interesting storyline in Ali and Mansoor? That could get seven minutes instead of three. That doesn't make what you're saying makes complete sense. What they did makes zero sense. So let's talk about that. T bar and Mace against Lucha House Party. The heels went for high justice when Grand Metalik broke it up. Lince Dorado then hit T bar with a Hurricane Rana and caught him in a pinning combination for the win. Again, at least it wasn't a roll up, but he basically folded him over, which is what the finish was in that other match, plus a roll up in Riddle. I mean, what are we doing here, right? Like yeah. it, just, it doesn't make any sense, and I know we've made the comparison before. But holy shit, T-Bar and Mace are going the way of the ascension at this point. This is a disaster for Dijack in particular, who is a truly talented wrestler. He has a skill set that is almost unmatched with the exception of Keith Lee by a big man. And yet, he's just jobbing out to Lucha House Party, and I love Lucha House Party. They should be factored in consistently to the tag team picture and they should win the tag team titles at some point. But in a three-minute match where the big guys who at least should be getting pushed are losing in three minutes to Lucha House Party for no reason. Lucha House Party didn't even look good in the victory. This wasn't the ugliest thing in the world because we're going to talk about that in a moment. But this was really bad.
1: Yeah, this was ugly. And and T-Bar, a.k.a. DiJack, tweeted (laughs) after the after the show in all caps we will be the wwe raw tag team champions nobody can stop us i don't know if that was tongue-in-cheek or what but it's like yeah like he's a he's a talented guy we saw what him and keith lee did in nxt you you would think vince would love what he can do as a bigger guy individually why is he in this tag team why are they getting this match on raw it was
0: complete waste of time now it was a waste of time indeed not as big of a waste of time as the final match, we're going to talk about R-Truth and Jackson Riker against Cedric Alexander and Elias. This infuriated me deep down inside. I'm just going to be honest. I was pissed off to the highest levels of pistivity. I misquoted, but that's Malcolm Bivens. So the match graphic comes on screen for this. And I thought I was hallucinating at first. <laughs> there was no connection whatsoever between R-Truth and Cedric Alexander separate from the storyline or involved in it. Riker, if he had teamed with Jeff Hardy, that would have made sense because Hardy is feuding with Cedric. But no, they don't get that. Now, maybe they were trying to get a face rub off of Riker from our truth considering they had that Raw Talk interaction last week. But like 10% of the Raw TV audience watches that show and they didn't show a clip from it. And our truth can't make Riker likable as it is. Then this thing starts with the 24-7 championship chase, which like hardly exists most weeks, interrupting before the bell. And then Truth sees them and runs away with the group and forgets about the match. Elias jumps off the ring apron, just like he did all those other weeks, and Riker squashes Cedric Alexander. So they're still telling the Elias cowardice story that was resolved last week in a strap match and Alexander, who looked like he was getting a little bit of a singles push going up against Jeff Hardy, that's a big guy to be working with, gets murdered by a guy they're trying to push in Riker for no reason whatsoever. Why not just use Drew Gulak in a singles match and let Riker get a win over him? What are we even doing here? This was a terrible episode of Raw, but this was a dog shit segment. Does WWE really think, Chris, that what we talked about over the last two to maybe three matches, even though the Ali storyline is good, the fact that it got three minutes, do they really think that that's going to work in front of live crowds in a week and a half? This was shameful and an ugly, ugly piece of booking. Zero point
1: zero. Yeah, so you, you mentioned when the graphic comes up and you realize our truth is in a tag match. I had the same reaction as you, and while you were talking, I decided to look it up. The last time R-Truth was in a match that was not 24-7 rules and that was not a battle royal was, where'd it go? It was a seven-way match for the for the uh, 24-7 title on November 9th. And before that, it was a loss to Bobby Lashley on November 2nd, 2020. We're talking, what is it, July? We're talking eight months ago. Is <laughs> the last time R-Truth had a normal match on TV. And so, yeah, you knew this is going to be nothing. It, what was the point of all of this? They, they Clearly, they love Riker. We, we don't. He's going to get booed when crowds are back. It's going to go nowhere. But clearly, they like him.
0: How does this even... Help him. It doesn't help Riker. It makes Elias look like a total bitch when this is a guy who people want to cheer or boo in a vociferal way. It doesn't help yeah. Alexander and it doesn't help Truth. It helped no one.
1: Yeah, so I actually praised the strat match last week and, and you hated it. It had it, it had
0: redeeming it, qualities. Yes, yeah, it,
1: it at least there was a point to it, and they did it. And you cannot like him and I don't like him and whatever, but they at least did something with it. This was nothing. This is a complete waste of time. We've already talked longer than we need to talk about this whole thing. It's just, again, these last, the the, the tag match and this, why are these on the show? Like, why? Why? <laughs> Get, give some extra time to something else that was going on. Tell a story.
0: I don't know. If you want was Riker it? to beat Alexander, give them seven minutes and let him beat him or, or 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, if you that, want that will, get, that will get
1: him over more than anything else. Anything will, and that's why that's why I thought the strat match accomplished something because he had a match, they fought hard, and he beat the guy.
0: Yeah, if if you want, that's what you do. If you want people to get wins, then give them wins that matter. You got to make yeah. the win matter. And, and all this shit is going to result in either a 50-50 booking or an elongation of a feud that no one wants to see. I mean, I gotta say, man, like. There's talented people in the low card on Raw right now. These names that we're saying, I mean, not Riker, obviously, but Alexander, Elias, T Bar, meaning Dijak, the Lucha House Party guys, Mustafa Ali, Mansoor. These are talented dudes. You have Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza. These guys can all work. Let them work. Just let me see Mansoor versus Umberto Carrillo for 12 minutes. It would have been better than any of this. I don't even need a storyline. Just give me that match for 12 minutes. And have yeah. Ali, have Mansour lose and have Ali be waiting for him backstage and disapprove. That's all you got to do. Yep. It's all you got to do. Us,
1: tell a story. Give, give us a reason to care about something. And then I'll, and ra-
0: I'll wrap up here on this. Just one more. Yep. I guess it's a complaint. I, guys, we, you guys know a lot of WWE weeks. We're super positive this was last, not last, a good last last couple of weeks have been good yeah the last couple of weeks we've been super positive this is again good I, again i even praised the strap match we <laughs> were <I> positive <laughs> but i wanted to end on this the mid card and tag team title pictures have been horrendous across both shows over the last month the Mysterios have disappeared now they have a reason that they got hurt but why are you making them the champions and then having those champions immediately get killed and and not strip them of the titles right Apollo Crews does not have a challenger. Sheamus is finally back from injury next week, and he will be defending against Roberto Creo. That's great. But WWE on this Monday had Creo chasing the 24 7 title rather than, I don't know, giving him a promo to set up the match, having a confrontation with Sheamus backstage, or airing a short video package to refresh viewers and provide some storyline ahead of next week's match. Look at,
1: look at that, that promo package they did for Otis ahead of the match. Perfect. Th- that was perfect. That's exactly, if you got someone coming back, if you want us to remember, hey, this guy's a,
0: a badass, like give us a two minute promo like that to just show some highlights. That goes a long way. Yeah, Sheamus like broke his nose or whatever, three or four weeks ago. And they're like, oh yeah, by the way, that match that you thought was going to happen, but was never officially booked, it's going to be next week. Give us something, instead of all this shit that we just talked about and waded through, give us uh, Umberto Carrillo either video package or promo segment and give us Mansoor and Ali for 12 minutes instead of three and completely skip those other two matches. And it's a much better show because of that. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to do it. And I'm not saying you have to do exactly what we say. Just do a version of it. Pick any two people and, <laughs> and allow them to have a match of consequence with a clean finish that does not include a roll-up. That's all yep. we want out of wrestling.
1: Yep, We're not and asking and as for
0: the world. I'm not asking for long-term storytelling for the low card.
1: Yep, it, and, and as as we wrap this up, it's going to be really interesting because we only have one week left in the Thunderdome. We do, uh, they're yes. They're going back out to crowds, and we'll see what kind of booking they keep, what kind of booking they don't, because stuff like that tag team match, stuff like Riker... That ain't gonna work in front of crowds. No, crowds so are gonna
0: boo that down. We in we major will
1: see how that goes. I'm very curious what the reactions are and, and things they keep from this era, things they don't. We'll talk about that more next week in the Money in the Bank preview as we kind of say goodbye to the Thunderdome. But um, yeah, this would have this is not the kind of show you want to put on in front of crowds.
0: It's not. And to your point, yes, there's only two shows left inside the Thunderdome. This coming Friday, SmackDown, and I believe I heard they're taping Raw ahead of Monday, the Go Home Raw is actually going to get taped because of the Thunderdome contract. I think they need to tape it before they get out of there and also move all the stuff over to Texas uh, for the first time in, you know, like 16 months or something like that to do a live SmackDown in front of fans. So there's two more shows. Next week is indeed the Go Home to Money in the Bank, which means, Chris, yes, next week's edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast will indeed be, isn't this the Money in the Bank edition? Not this week, Riddle. Next week will be the Money in the Bank ultimate preview edition here of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We will break down every single match on the card. We'll give you best case scenario, worst case scenario for the two Money in the Bank matches, plus all of our predictions. And we will talk about every single thing that happens across Raw and SmackDown all next week in this very place. Before that happens, we will be back on Thursday with our NXT and AEW Dynamite episode. We'll break down NXT Great American Bash and AEW Road Rager as AEW finally hits the road, gets back out in front of live crowds that are not inside Daily's place. So just to reiterate, this Thursday, NXT, AEW, next Tuesday, Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview, now, what's going to happen after that? That's a very good question. On Sunday, 30 minutes before the WWE kickoff show for Money in the Bank, the Silver King, and possibly Chris Vanini, who will be in attendance at Money in the Bank, will yes. do a live show on Twitter Spaces. So you need to follow us at Getting Overcast on Twitter. We'll do a live 30-minute show before the WWE kickoff show, which will then proceed to, of course, Money in the Bank, and then when Money in the Bank goes off the air, you know it, it's your favorite show. The instant analysis of Money in the Bank right here next Sunday night on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So we have a ton of shows coming up for you, a huge week next week. I will reiterate, it is the Silver King's birthday next week as well. It is also the British Open, AKA the Open Championship. So it's gonna be a very busy week in my life. Chris, I think it's also SEC Media Days. Is that true? I think so. I it's, mean, they're not during the they're not over the weekend. No, they're but, during the week.
1: It's a busy week. Yeah, is what I'm saying we're we're getting into college football. So we got college
0: football. We got major championship golf. We got my birthday, which I won't be able to celebrate because I'll be working. And Money in the Bank, the first pay per view back in front of fans. It's all going to be really exciting. And the way for you to, of course, make sure you follow all of that is following us at Getting Overcast, where we drop every new episode. And remembering what this show, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, is all about. about Because not only should you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to fine audio, you should head on over to Apple Podcasts and drop five-star rating and reviews to let people know how much you love this show. That way our listenership can go up, you can get more advertisers, and we can do a lot of really cool, fun things here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So with all of that out of the way, the show went longer than I expected, but I appreciate all of you sticking with us as Chris and I got to bitch and moan about WWE this week. The hope is starting Friday and moving on to the go-home week for WWE that things pick up in a major way ahead of Money in the Bank, and we will be with you the entire time. So for Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silver King, and I will leave you with three final words. Bye for now. (laughs) Thank <laughs>